And we're going to read verses 20 and 21. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying together. We pray that you'd help now, Father God, as we look into your word, that our uh, eyes would be opened, our hearts would be <coughs> turned unto you, and that, Lord God, our understanding would also be open. And you guide as we study your word together tonight. I pray that you give me wisdom from on high, that I might, Father God, uh, be able to speak your word in truth. I might have clarity of thought and simplicity of speech. Pray tonight, Father God, that your word would challenge us and bless us and encourage us as we study together. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word was given unto us to be a blessing to us, to be a light unto us and a lamp unto us. And we thank you, Father God, for your word. And Lord, tonight we pray that we would uh, do justice to it and that, Lord, we would honor you through it. And we'd be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory as we study your word together now. In Jesus' name, amen. In the closing verses of Romans chapter 5, Paul contrasts law and grace and law, uh, sorry, uh, law and grace and sin and grace. In verses five, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, these two final verses of this paragraph, these two verses of this chapter come at the end of a most important paragraph, a most interesting paragraph that we've seen in the book of Romans so far. The paragraph that starts in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 and ended in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 as we saw this morning. This paragraph that talks about Adam and Christ, this comparison between uh, the relationship that we have to Adam and the relationship that we have to Christ. Those who are in Adam are sinners destined for Christ's eternity. Those in Christ are declared righteous, destined for a, uh, an eternity with him in glory. And they're similar in their propositions. Each one stands as our representative. Those in Adam, in the line of Adam, are, as I said, sinners. Those in the line of Christ and have believed in Christ are declared righteous and have hope for eternity. As we come to the end of the chapter, we find the word moreover, verse 20, moreover. And the very word moreover at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 20 or to arrest our attention. Here is obviously something additional. Something additional to what the Apostle has already been saying. Paul has actually finished his discussion. He's actually finished his dissertation. He's actually come to a close. The end of verse 19, he's finished what he wanted to say. Verse 12, made a proclamation. He then had the parenthetical section, verses 13 to 17, and then the concluding remarks in verses 18 and 19 with those four great truths, those uh, two, contra two lots of contrasts between Adam and Christ. He's actually finished that. He's finished his statement. He's finished his discourse. And he did so with those four great truths of Romans 5, 18 and 19. 
But how about verse 20? He goes and he says, moreover. He still has something further to say. It's as if the Apostle Paul felt that he had some loose ends that he had to tie up. That he just can't leave what he's saying without adding some final thoughts, without adding some concluding remarks in this matter. And so he says, moreover, and he reveals, firstly, the contrast between law and grace in verse 20, and then a contrast between, law and, uh, between grace and sin, or sin and grace in verse 21. And so tonight, what we want to do is we want to consider verse 20. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll look at verse 21. We'll look at law and grace tonight and sin and grace next Sunday. And so tonight, then let's consider the contrast between the law and grace. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now the Apostle Paul has referred to the law before. This is not the first time he has mentioned the subject of law in this chapter. In fact, he'd mentioned it back in verses 13 and 14 where we read, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. And so, for until the law, sin was in the world. And sin was not imputed when there was no law. Now, having mentioned the law back there, in verses 13 and 14, he now comes back to the subject of the law. Because what he wants to do now is he wants to show you and I the exact relationship of the law to grace. To show the direct relationship of what he's been saying in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Paul concludes that the law, which by the way here refers to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments in particular, but the law of Moses in general, he wants you and I to understand that the law was brought in so that the offense would abound. That's what he says. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. He's tying up the loose end of the law that he mentioned back in verse 13, and he wants now to explain to us the relationship of the law to you and I. The relationship of the law to grace. And the relationship of grace, if you like, to the law. And so he says that the law came so that the offense would abound. That is so that man's sin would become obvious. Now Paul has previously shown us that the law does not justify us. Look in chapter 3 and verse 20. Romans 3.20 <clears throat> Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So he's already revealed to us in Romans that the law does not justify us. But now he shows us that in and of itself, the law doesn't even make us sinners. Adam did that. That's the point of Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. To demonstrate to you and I that the cause of sin is Adam. You and I are sinners because of Adam. You and I were declared to be sinners in Adam. And so the law does not make us sinners. Adam did that. So he wants you and I to understand what is the purpose of the law. Why did the law exist? 
In Romans 5.20 we read this, Moreover the law entered. Now the word entered here is an interesting word. It's one of those words where you read this verse, you think, well, the main point of the verse is not the word entered. The main point of the verse is that the offense might abound, but where sin abound and grace is much more abound, and you wouldn't take much time to have a look at the word entered. Something sparked my imagination this week to want to find out what the word entered meant. And when I looked at the word entered, I found it was an interesting word because it means to come alongside of or by the side of. In other words, the law entered by the side of sin. The sin already existed. Sin had already entered. It entered with Adam. And the law which came with Moses, some 2,000 years later, the law which came with Moses came alongside of sin, which is already there. So the sin already existed prior to the law, And the law came alongside of that sin. And so Paul now tells us why. That the offense may abound. Moreover, the law ended that the offense might abound. The offense here refers to Adam's offense. Okay? And we know that because that's the context. We've just spent a number of weeks going through Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 19, and we've seen over and over again that the problem is Adam. And the offense that is mentioned here in verse 20 is the same as offense that's mentioned throughout the book of Romans. It's the offense of Adam. Look at verse 16. And not, uh, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the, judgment came, uh, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. And uh, uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 13. For until the law, sin was not in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was, when there is no law. And if you read the context again, and we're not going to take time to read it all, but verse 17 again. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So the offense here in verse 20 is the offense of Adam. It's what Adam committed. It's his sin. It's his disobedience. So the law entered that the offense, that that Disobedience of Adam, that's consequence of Adam's sin and the consequence of the fact that you and I have all sinned. Because of that offense and those offenses, the law came that they might abound. Now in verse 13 he stated that sin was not imputed where there is no law. Now here what we see is what happens when the law was given. The law, as we said, came alongside so that sin might abound. Now we need to understand what's going on here. It's not talking about the fact that the law came alongside that we might be saved. The law came alongside sin which already existed so that it might reveal that we were all sinners. So that Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, might indeed 
be proven to be fact. We were all sinners, Romans 5.12. Death prayers reigned upon all men, for all have sinned. We're all sinners, that's a fact. That was the reality. But in order that you and I might know we are sinners, the Lord came alongside to prove that fact to be true. There is a clear purpose for the law. So the offence might abound. The law makes God's holy standard clear. And in making God's holy standard clear, it contrasts our sin with God's holy standard. So here is sin which exists prior to the law. Here is God's holy standard which has always existed. And the law stands in the middle, comes alongside sin, so it can shine a light upon sin that we might see how sinful we are. We can illustrate it this way. The flaws in a precious stone abound. But when they're contrasted with a perfect stone, they greatly abound. When put up against a contrasting backdrop, they're seen to greatly abound. They're more evident. If you take a counterfeit $5 note and take a real $5 note and you put them together, the contrast is great. You can see which one is real and which one is fake. God's perfect law exposes our flaws. It makes our sin to abound. Now this does not mean that God brought more sin into the world. Because he brought the law. The sin was always there. From the moment that Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden and death passed upon all men and all have sinned, from that moment on mankind is a sinner. And mankind is indeed sinful. And when the law came, it didn't make us more sinful. It didn't add more sin to us. It simply revealed what we were. Simply put, the law reveals our sinfulness. The law increases our knowledge of sin. The law defines sin for us. The law helps you and I know what God thinks is sin. What is sin in the eyes of Almighty God? The law tells us. The law increases our conviction of sin. And in one sense, the law even incites us to sin. Now, why do I say that? How can the law make me sin? Is the law given to show me that I'm a sinner? How can the law make me sin? Well, that's because of the sinfulness of our hearts. So when we see a line drawn in the sand, what do we want to do? We want to cross over it. Go down the street, see a park bench, and it says wet paint. What do you want to do? Touch it. It doesn't matter how much you know it's wet paint, but the thing you want to do is touch the... You want to check to see if it is wet. You see a sign that says keep off the grass. What do you want to do? What's the, what's the thing in you that says you want to do? You want to get on the grass. 
And the law does that to us. It incites us to do the wrong thing. It's in this sense that the law makes sin a bad because it draws many clear lines between right and wrong that our sinful heart wants to break. It's in this sense that the law makes me sin more. Not because there's anything wrong with the law, but because there is something deeply wrong with the human condition. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You see, the law coming alongside sin makes sin to abound. It makes it look more serious and indeed it incites you and I to want to step over that line. The law was God's high standard. It's God's holy standard. And it was given to show us how far short you and I have fallen from God's glory. Here is God's holy standard and the law comes alongside and demonstrates how far we've fallen short of the standard of God. So that sin could be seen as exceedingly sinful. Look in Revelation. Look in Romans 7, please, verse 13. It says, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The commandments were given, the law was given, so the sin might be seen as exceedingly sinful. We might see the wretchedness of sin. That's what Paul means when he says, the Lord entered that the offence may abound, might abound. We know that through Adam came abounding sin. It covered the whole world, including every person. Because that's Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul took three chapters to demonstrate to you and I that we're all guilty sinners before a holy God that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeketh after God. We've all sinned and can show the glory of God. He demonstrated that whether you be a religious person, whether you be a heathen person, whether you be a, 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 you know, just a middle-of-the-ground person, a civilized person. It doesn't matter what category you fit in. Everyone is a sinner before a holy God. Adam made sure of that because of his representation of us when he sinned. And so the world is covered in sin. Now we're told the law came alongside and made our sin clear. This is God's purpose in giving the law, not to save us, but to reveal our sin. It was given to sharpen our understanding of sin. To put it another way, the law acts like a magnifying glass. As we take the word of God and the law of God, and we shine the law of God, uh, place the law of God over you and I, what we see is the, is the magnification of our wickedness. You know, a magnifying glass does not actually increase the number of dirty spots on a garment. It makes them stand out more clearly. It reveals many more of them 
than we can see by the naked eye because that's the purpose of a magnifying glass is to magnify the things that are on the page or the things that are on the garment. And you and I can see those dirty spots clearer and there appears to be more of them because of the magnifying glass. That's the law. That's the word of God. As God's law is delivered, it acts as a magnifying glass showing exactly the character and nature of man. The law causes sin to stand out. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 again. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Note this. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Look in Romans 7.7. Romans 7.7 What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And so, here, once again, we see the law. The law, is the law sin? No. God forbid. But we would not have known sin apart from the law. Look in verse 13 of this chapter, Revelation Chapter 7, uh, Revelation, Romans chapter 7 and verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 19, Galatians 3, 19. Wherefore then serve the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. Wherefore, it says, then serve the law. It was added because of the transgressions. The law of God came to cause sin to stand out. We know that Galatians also tells the law was the schoolmaster to lead us unto Christ, to teach us that we are sinners, to bring us to Christ. The more we, in the light of God's word, begin to see our own sinfulness and our own weakness before a holy God, the more we'll thank God for the manifestation of his grace. That's why when, you, when we're talking to somebody who's unsaved, we've first got to get them lost before we'll ever get them saved. Before we ever teach them about the grace of God, they've got to understand the sinfulness of their sin. They've got to understand how wicked they are. They've got to understand how much they've fallen short of the glory of God. We've got to take the word of God and we've got to demonstrate to them that they are lost sinners, that they're hell-bound, that they are destined for Christ's eternity. They need to have the word of God taught unto them to reveal to them their condition before a holy God, the law has to come alongside their sin and magnify it so they can see the magnitude of their wickedness and then we might demonstrate to them the grace of God and then they will embrace the grace of God because of their wickedness. Too often what we want to do is teach them about the glories of salvation and the grace of God and what Christ has done for them without telling them why they need God's grace, why they need Calvary, why they need to have the blood. Because they don't understand they're sinners. But even you and I as believers, 
The more you and I read God's word, the more you and I realize how wicked we really are, and you and I understand the depths of our sin and the magnitude of our sinfulness, and we see our weakness before a holy God, then it will cause you and I to be more thankful for the grace of God and the manifestation of that grace that's ours through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's why the law entered, so that the offense might abound. But now Paul gives the contrast, as he's been doing in this second half of Romans 5, the contrast. And Paul reveals to us the results. What, what result is there of the law? When, when, now God's revealed this, the sin might abound. What's the result of that? What, what did God do? Well, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. But where grace, sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounds, grace abounds, he says. It's not as if these two forces of grace and sin are equal. Sin abounds, but grace much more abounds. It's not as though they're equal. You see, on the contrary, grace not only pardons you and I, as Romans 5.20 talks about, but it does far more. See, Romans 5.20 tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, there's more grace than our sin. But then verse 21 tells us what that, the consequence of that is. Look what it says. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So not only does grace pardon you and I, but it does far more. It brings everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So truly, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Where sin increases, grace abounds and increases all the more. It doesn't matter how much sin there is. It doesn't matter how exceedingly sinful your sin is. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. Grace exceeds far greater than your sin. Charles Wesley wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. The song contains the line, He breaks the power of cancelled sin. What about Julie H. Johnson's song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin? Marvelous grace, matchless grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. You see, the wonderful thing about God's grace is that there is sufficient grace for all. Nobody stands outside the bounds and the parameters of God's grace. You may have heard someone say, I, 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 God cannot save me, I'm just too big a sinner. Well, it doesn't matter. Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You see, potentially, what, what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying potentially all can be saved because of abounding grace. No wonder John Newton wrote, Amazing grace has sweep the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because it is amazing grace. 
His grace that's applied when you and I believe, when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the grace of God is applied to you and I, for by grace are you saved through faith. That grace of God is, is sufficient for all our sins. And potentially, we can be saved because of abounding grace. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we experience the wonders of his grace. It's interesting here that the three different Greek words used for abound, which you would not get from the English, by the way, but there are three distinct Greek words used for the word abound, and they're interesting. The first word abound is found there in verse 20. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The offense might abound. Because of the law, it is possible for man to appear to have more sin than he had before. Here is a sinner. Because of Adam's sin, he is by nature a sinner, and he, is, he sins daily. Along comes the law alongside of that same man, and now because the law is a magnifying glass, it appears as if he is more sinful than he was. And although that's not true, because the sin was always there. The idea is that it might increase. That is, that sin would be more apparent, more violent, more extensive, that we would see it for all of it is, with all of its warts, so to speak. The introduction of the Mosaic Law, instead of diminishing the sins of the people, only increases them. God's law shines the spotlight on sin and it reveals the sin in our hearts. The sin was always there. But now the law shines a light on them so they can be clearly seen. They became more evident, they become more apparent because the law comes alongside sin. The second word, abound, in verse 20, says this, but where sin abounded... Where sin abounded. In other words, because of the law that came, okay, whether that the offence might abound, sin became more apparent when the law came because there was more than enough sin in the world. It abounded. It, 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 wherever you looked, wherever you shine the spotlight of the law, you could see sin. It just abounds. It's everywhere. There was no shortage of sin for the law to point at. It wouldn't have mattered where you turn the spotlight. When the law came alongside sin, and the law comes alongside the offense, wherever you shine the spotlight of the law of God, there is sin. It abounds. Even today, there is no shortage of sin. It abounds everywhere, doesn't it? Shine the spotlight of the word of God upon a part of society... And you will find that sin abounds. It's like going into a dark room and turning the light and watching the cockroaches run everywhere. Okay? Cockroaches abound in the darkness. You turn the light and they scatter. Well, the same is true with the law. When you turn the law on the spotlight of the law of God upon a person or upon a group of people, sin abounds. It's everywhere. 
It resides in every nook and every cranny. There is an abundance of sin. It abounds. The third word abound in verse 20 is found there that sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. And this word is interesting because this word means that grace filled to overflowing, superabounding. In fact, this third word abound is found nowhere else in the New Testament except in one other place. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4 is the only other time this Greek word is found in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 7 4. We read, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. That word exceeding is the same Greek word as abounding. It's translated exceeding in 2 Corinthians 7.14. It's translated abounds in uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 20. And this word abound means that God's grace triumphed greatly over sin. Where sin abounded, grace exceeded. Rather than sin overcoming grace, where sin abounded, God's grace overabounded. So when you shine the spotlight of the law upon mankind, and the law reveals the sin of man, comes alongside man, shows they're sinful, and wherever you point that spotlight, it abounds this sin everywhere. You measure how much, if you could measure how much sin there is in the world, and how much sin there would have been in the world, and how much sin there was in the world from the day of Adam through to the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish the millennial kingdom. If you could count it all up, you then turn on the spotlight of God's grace, it shines on all that sin. It exceeds that sin. It's superabounding grace. So when sin became obvious, God's grace became more obvious. That's a glorious truth. It doesn't matter how much sin there is, God's grace is sufficient. You know, we love that verse where the Lord tells Paul when Paul has a thorn in the flesh and he's asking the Lord to take it away and he asks for it thrice and the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Well, that's true for you and I as believers, but it's true for everything. The grace of God is all sufficient. You know, the wonderful truth is that even when it comes to man's sin and man's sinful condition, God always provides the way of escape. God's grace is truly greater than our sin, as the songwriter said. I got pretty excited about that this week as I started to think about this, because this is such a wonderful statement. It's a simple little verse. But these three Greek words express something to you and I about the nature and the character of the grace of God. Potentially, everybody can be saved. You know, God's grace abounding here is a reference 
the Levitical laws that were introduced with the Torah or the commandments. Remember, he's talking about where the law came in, grace abounded. So put it in this context now. Okay, we're talking about the law. The law is the Mosaic law. So when the Mosaic law came into being, there was also the Levitical laws and all that that came into existence. And the commandments showed up the sin of the people. The nation of Israel became abundantly aware of how wicked they were. Remember, they'd spent 400 years in Egypt. They'd come out of Egypt. They'd arrived at Mount Sinai, and Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And those commandments revealed to the nation of Israel just how wicked they were. They had been a nation living within a nation, and for 400 years, they had lost sight of just truly how wicked they'd become. This, this nation... I'm sure felt themselves to be more righteous than the Egyptians, and probably were by comparison. But by comparison with the rights of God, this nation was pretty wicked. This Jewish nation was not living a godly life. And when the law came alongside, it reflected, it revealed, it demonstrated just how wicked they were. So when the law came, the sin of the people was showed up. But you ever thought about this? You know, when the law came, God did something else. When the law came, God also gave them the altar and the sacrifices, the Levitical system, and all those things. When sin became more obvious and appeared to abound, even though it didn't, it was already there, but appeared to abound at the same time God introduced the tabernacle, the altar, the mercy seat, the sacrifices, the rituals. Isn't that wonderful? God sent the law of Moses and the law was given and sin did abound. Sin seemed to be everywhere. It shone a spotlight on sin. It came alongside the wickedness of man and showed them for what they really were. And God said, you are wretched sinners undone, destined for hell. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the tabernacle, I'm going to give you the altar, I'm going to give you the sacrifices, I'm going to give you all these things. So the sinners that seek out the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? God says, I'm going to show you what you really like, you're sinners. But I'm going to have your means of coming unto me and experiencing my grace. Here's the tabernacle. Here's the mercy seat. Here's the sacrifices. Here is the whole of the Levitical system that you might see that by coming unto me, you can experience my grace. See, no matter how much sin there is, there is always sufficient grace. Christ died so that all men might experience God's grace. You see, ultimately, the law came alongside and revealed man's sin. It did abound. And God gave the Levitical system so that man could experience the grace of God. But the Levitical system was simply a foreshadowing of what God was going to do at Calvary, which the apostles have been talking about in Romans chapter 5, that Christ died in our place so that where sin abounded, grace would abound because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. 
so that all men by faith in Him could believe, so that by faith all men could be saved, so that no sinner stands outside the reach of God's grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that man should boast. All of mankind can be saved. For God's grace is superabounding, far outweighing any sin that man may commit. Truly, as the songwriter said, His grace is greater than our sin. This truth of the law and abounding grace is is important for us to understand. You see, if someone is to be saved, they must first know they're sinners. They must see that their sin has abounded. That's the law. And once they see that their sin has abounded, then we can reveal to them and help them to understand that where their sin has abounded, grace has much more abounded, superabounded. Once they know how sinful they are, we can demonstrate to them that the grace of God is available to all who by faith will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And I don't know about you, but I want to praise God tonight for abounding, abundant grace. For where sin did abound, Grace did much more abound. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you for abounding grace, for the all-sufficient grace, for the superabounding grace that is ours through Jesus Christ, his death on Calvary. Lord, if anybody here tonight has not experienced that grace, may they this evening even trust you, Father, before it's eternally too late. May they experience the grace of God which abounds so that they might be saved. Father, for those of us who are saved, may we truly give thanks for grace that is greater than our sin, for that amazing grace which saved a wretch like me. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.